Pushaw. I hit it. Oh, you hit your button, didn't you? Yes. You little button pusher, you. <laughs> Every, everything you say can and will be recorded and used against you. Good. You podcast. didn't get my reference? You fargan cork suckers. No. What's that? You, remember, you ever seen Johnny Dangerously? Mm, I don't think so. Oh, classic 80s Michael Keaton, like spoofing the old mob movies. And the guy who tries to kill him in that movie always goes, ah, you fargan cork suckers. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, I think I missed that one. You missed that one? I was mm. probably getting laid, dude. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, it was the late 80s. So <laughs> from my understanding, you uh, were in leather pants on cocaine having sex. Yeah. That is, that is what I imagine. So I looked cocaine. something up. I looked something up that comes up in the interview, okay? Just so we know. We were wondering early on in the interview, what was it? Elon Musk was worth, you know, cool 200 bill or so, Ugh. 220 bill. Yes. And I looked it up and it does look like nearly half the world's countries are worth less than Elon Musk. Yes. For the most part, it looks like the bulk of Africa instead of, you know, leaving out maybe two or three countries. The bulk of South America, uh, leaving out seems to be only Brazil. Uh, the bulk so you're of the saying East, he could buy Argentina? The bulk of Central Europe, yeah, it looks like it. Oh. Yeah, it looks like he could, I mean, he could, if you take South Africa out of the mix, he could just buy Sub-Saharan Africa. Like Ugh. it's, well, not to say you can buy a country based on their GDP, no, which is which is but, what I'm looking up. But I mean, that is phenomenally insane. <laughs> is it not? Like, I just uh, what are we going to do about that, Brad? I mean, at some point, one of these guys is going to buy an island somewhere and make an army of uh, fucking mercenaries, right? That will be able to then... Wow. Here's bidding. an interesting thing. I heard an interview with someone who was a like a, a, a psychologist to the ultra rich. It was like a really bizarre thing, but his specialty was being a yeah, like a shrink to the ultra rich because they have such a unique position in life that I guess only him and the other ultra rich could understand it. Um, and apparently. The biggest one of the biggest fears that these people had was how do we still yield power and influence when money doesn't mean anything? <laughs> so they're really thinking so far ahead, like, like right now in the current context of things, yes, I can buy an island, I can buy people to protect me on this island, I can, but if the shit really hits the fan, the entire monetary system is, is, out. Right. It's gone. Your money doesn't mean anything right. if it's really like post-apocalyptic. So one of their biggest fears instead of like doomsday prepping their weird, you know, underground bunkers and stuff is like, how do we still manipulate the poor to work for us when money doesn't mean anything, <laughs> essentially? God. How do we get them to still fight and die for us uh, without money? You know? So That's sick. an interesting concept, you know? How do you? Maybe. The only other way is back in the day, brute fucking force, right? Just give it up. You will have been toppled and your head will have been sliced from your body, my friend. Wait, what am I giving up? 
What do I have to? Give I'm up? talking to Elon Musk. That's oh, he doesn't oh, need Elon. to worry because he his head will have been removed from his body by the by those below him. He's living like Krang at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it would be fun. It would be fun. Man, that was such an excellent conversation. Ryan, I've I've known for a while. Now, we didn't talk about it in here. Maybe we'll talk about it in part two. But when Gaslight was first coming up, the uh, first record we did, Sink or Swim, like leaked. And it got out early. And some of the people it leaked to were... Ryan and his his guy Jake at Vice. Oh, really? That's right. And that's he was in a band called Deer Tonight, and we got connected that way. And they're the ones who, at the time, were doing some stuff with Against Me, and they put together a show in the city with Against Me and put us on the show. That kind of put us on the radar of like you know Jordan at Sabbath, and you know probably subsequently got us on that you know Against Me New Wave tour, which was our first big tour. So, so those guys had, um, you know, were, were way, way, way early on into like what was going on with Gaslight and helped me out. And then, you know, through the years, like Vice blows up and, you know, reconnect with Ryan and he's putting out these amazing, like, you know, he's like on Nat Geo, he's on Netflix, he's on Vice, he's, he's traveling the world and he's like, you know, yeah, like turned into this really cool Anthony Bourdain-ish sort of character. Yeah. He's going to these interesting corners of the world and and you know it's it's such a fascinating life he's he's chosen and uh well he's good at it you know yeah he's good (laughs) at it and he articulates it well and he's just an interesting guy to talk to and listen to and and fairly recently we've kind of reconnected within the last year and we talk about it at the end he's the only person i do this with we have uh, like a, a communication relationship where we've been writing these epically grand texts to each other like once every couple weeks or like a month response. So we're, I guess we're treating texts like emails or almost like pen palling, you know, in, in, in text form in the way we used to like, that's what my parents think. They think that texts are emails and they send me ones that are so big. I have to scroll through them on my phone. (laughs) I mean, I kind of do too, especially in the time sensitive nature of text. It's like, as long as, uh, you know, as long as I write you back eventually, I do think it's okay. But some people are like, dude, like, why did it take you so long to write back? I'm like, well, cause you text me at like nine at night. I decided my phone is going to go away at seven tonight so I can actually use my brain. Sorry. You know, like, like, Remember the days where if you used to call somebody at their home after 10 o'clock, it basically meant an emergency was happening. Yeah, man. Like, if your phone rang after 10, like, that uh-oh. Loud bell. Diddling, yeah. diddling. Like, oh, God. Ouch. It's 1030. Either someone is really fucking up and going to get yelled at <laughs> or something awful happened, you know? <laughs> so we got to turn these things off every once in a while, you know? Hell Yeah. I didn't even realize, man, I started this habit in the last few months of kind of like listening to podcasts to go to sleep again. Really? Or, you know, yeah, or listening to like a stand up or listening to a podcast or just something to, I guess, distract my attention. Maybe right. I was depressed or getting dark or something. And, and you know, the last uh, couple nights I've been making it a point to stay away from it, keep it away from me in the morning when I get up. And, man, 
just automatically I feel more clear. I really do. Like it's these things, they kind of incrementally take a little larger hold of you as you go. And like the better the technology gets and the more apps you put on and the more things you're functioning through this phone. And it kind of takes away larger pieces of you as you go if you don't pay attention, you know? Hell yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, that is a non sequitur. (laughs) Ryan is a professional who would never let a segue like that happen. Um, So all that being said, let's, let's get into the train and part of this story and and potentially, I think this has to be part one of a part two, because we got a lot more to get into here. It's going on so I imagine you on like, like very important Zoom calls with like lots of different like fake tanned like California faces mapping out the next like mega tv production am i wrong uh you're wrong only in that the construction of your sentence has built in contradictions or question as it were (laughs) i don't know that there are very important zoom calls there are people Uh. in this world (laughs) who do important shit i'm I'm sure i think i know a couple of them they don't use zoom very much oh Um, okay (laughs) so this whole zoom thing it's got a it's got a it's got a floor huh Yeah, it's got a floor. (laughs) Idiots like me. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you are devastatingly right in the sense that 90% of my day is uh, Zoom calls with people um, uh, talking about completely made up processes and and bullshit make work to justify our jobs and our existence. And if we want to get really existential, our lives, our purpose. I mean, I don't know how big we are. Staring right back at you in your your computer screen. (laughs) So let me ask you a question about your Zoom life then, because I've noticed that, you know, I don't, thankfully, I don't have to do a lot of Zoom calls. Um, I did one today that was kind of important and I had to like think about where to actually do it from to see how it would come off. But I have noticed that the, people that I have Zoom called regularly that, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, like just about anywhere went. And then the, you know, the ones that had to do it a lot, they kind of like, they sorted some shit out. I noticed people's backgrounds became very well thought out and very staged. Mm-hmm. Did you like, did you make a conscious decision about like where you were going to, where you, like when you Zoom today, do you have a spot? Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you're asking me about this because I actually have a lot of thoughts. Here, here's my macro thought. Uh, we should stop this collectively as a society. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with phones. They served us for many, many years um, prior to a global pandemic. And we are now, uh, the Zoom has overstayed its welcome. 
Mm. Uh, that that's my hot take on Zooms. I don't need to see you. I really don't. I I, I can't see you guys right now, and it's right. completely fine. Um, I can tell by your voice that you have a, a sly grin on right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, <laughs> and isn't there, isn't there some charm in leaving something to the imagination? But I, yes. I really honestly do think, and here, here's the actual reason why. Um, one, I, I, I do think generally things have opened up and, and I, I've had more in-person meetings and coffees. And even if offices are still closed, I think people are wanting to you know, have a, have a yeah. patio coffee or sandwich and, and we can discuss there if it's really a face-to-face thing. And if it's not, and this is, this is, um, God, a very uninteresting anecdote, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> holy shit. Uh, everyone has turned this episode off. Um, uh, I, I'm a walker. I'm a pacer. I don't, I, mm, I can't uh, sit yeah. stationary. I feel and you on I, that. Yeah. Dude. I, my brain doesn't work. I'm not thinking as clearly. Like I, yeah. I also, I'm a, I'm a runner and I do most of my, my like actual creative thinking, not my zoom bullshit, but like the actual substance on like my evening runs. Like that's mm. just my, there's a, there's a direct connection in the wiring in my body between my brain and, and whatever endorphins get released by physical exercise. Yeah. So during the day I would rather, if I'm going to be on a, a conference call or whatever, I'd rather, you know, take my dogs for a walk or just move around the neighborhood or whatever. And just being stapled to my desk so I can stare blankly at someone's elaborate zoom background and, uh. and compliment their book collection seems completely inane to me. How long until we can just put like a cyber proxy in there? Like you can still go on your run, you know, yes. listen and then Ooh. and then speak and your cyber proxy is actually like in the actual Zoom. Well, this is dude, let's coming. Come on. Oh, it, 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 you got to know you're, somebody. You're setting the bar too low, homie. I, I, <laughs> the, the question is how long until Elon figures out a way that none of us are doing any of this. We're just thinking. We're just thinking yeah, right. and you're hearing my thoughts. Yes. Um, and, and all of this artifice of human communication is uh, fallen by the wayside. I, by the way, I, I want to be clear on that. I think that's fucking dystopian and terrifying. And I don't know that it's a great idea. <laughs> no, but I not. do think that's what Neuralink is. Right? Isn't that what he's working on? Uh, I th- well, I, th- I thought it was from my... I mean, a completely unskilled <laughs> opinion on something like this. I thought it was more like to neurologically control your actual functions around you, you know, like like computer on in your head and then like typing in your head. I didn't know that this was the actual communication between people without I any mean, words. I guess that's the next knows. logical step though, right? Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of a slippery slope once you open the door to it, right? But I don't know. I do think that the actual, I know nothing about what I'm talking about right now. Um, but I oh. do think that the more the more immediate utility to, to the, the whole neurological chip implant world is like actually helping victims of... Uh, strokes or, or people who have lost mobility or, or right. some utility in their limbs regain that, which is obviously fucking great. I, I think. Well, when I'm sure that's the uh, that, that's the dress they'll put on it to sell it to us. At first. That's the Trojan horse that they <laughs> yeah. they get yeah. it into our lives, yeah. and then yeah, all yeah. of a sudden, yeah. Then all of a sudden, like some cyber version of Elon is oh. like, it's ten o'clock. 
time for sleep. And then I just <laughs> shut down or something like that. Like that's probably I, step three. I after know. That. I feel like I'd I'd feel better about it if he wasn't such a fucking cartoon clown. <laughs> he's you too know rich. What I mean? Yeah, he's too rich and too exuberant about what he's doing. That it does have a real like Lex Luthor kind of feel, doesn't it? Did you see the new fucking Forbes billionaire list that came out this week or last week or something? Not my, not my normal periodical of <laughs> of, of note. But was he was he well number one above? Yeah, he's number one. It's been Bezos for the last few years, as you can tell. I'm an avid reader, um, <laughs> aspirational reading. Uh, well, you Do were you once on one a- of these lists, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, yes. I would I would take a look, too, if I was once on one of these lists. Do you want to take a guess at his total net worth? <sighs> this is a billionaire's list, so let's, let's, let's preface that it starts with a B, billion. So he, does he still start with a B? Yeah, he, yes. Oh, okay. Fair okay. question. Okay. He, he still did, starts with a B. I didn't yes, know if he, he made hasn't. it to the T yet. Um, no. Yeah, I'm going to go, like... You know, I know he's making like even like Steve Bomber look bad. Uh, let's go. I don't know. Cool. 300 billion. Yeah, it's a pretty good fucking guess, dude. 219 billion. Oh, wow. It's look at that. so inconceivable. That is such an, I, I mean, that's, I was going to say that's such an inconceivable amount of money. That's not even an amount of money. There should be a different vocabulary for it. That's a, we need like a new word. That's, that's yeah. not even wealth. That's, no. That's, you're an alien. I don't know what that is. That's like what the basketball players talk about when they're like, no, no, no. Like we're rich. The people who own our teams are wealthy. Like we're not allowed in the clubs. They're allowed, you know, like, like it's it's still a totally different story, you know? hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. I was trying to explain to my kids that like that amount of money, you couldn't, you can't, if you worked full time, like eighteen hours a day, seven days a week, like you couldn't spend it. Like you couldn't spend oh, it, no. even if you were like writing everybody you saw a huge check. You know, like you just couldn't get rid of the money. It's so much money that it just regenerates too quickly. Well, that's the thing, right? Like there is. It it seems so. Like, you know, you, you'll see people on Twitter every now and again, like look, looking at some report like this and drawing a connect, a, a direct line to like, you know, their, their pet cause, right? Whether right. it's it's homelessness or world hunger or, you know, electrical grid in, in sub-Saharan Africa, whatever the thing is, right? And you go like, oh, well, this asshole's worth $220 billion. It would take X, you know, million to, to, you know, fix my, my pet project, whatever. And you kind of go like, okay, come on. But the guy can't really actually, he's hit the point where I think he actually could just really like do a fucking straw poll of like the 10 worst problems and oh, ocean pollution and, and, you know, climate change and homelessness and, uh, you know, starvation I think we could knock like six or seven of them off the fucking list right. if this Easy. dude just started writing checks. No, yeah. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Like, God. like, I mean, he just bought 9% of Twitter for $3 billion, oh, which I mean, that's like, that's like a lunch. As like a, by the way. Yeah. In the same way that I just bought a coffee. Exactly. Yes. Like that's the, the equivalent to his wallet of like filling up his tank, getting a coffee and he just bought like 10% of a social media company that he hates. I know. That's really interesting. And is now right? going to do something creepy Lex Luthor shit to Twitter <laughs> or 
or like shut it down from the boardroom so he can start his own. Like he's up to something, you know what 100%, I mean? Hundred percent. And like hundred percent. And that's like toy money. That's that's like fuck around money, you know. Also, like my guy, how many companies do you need? Right? <laughs> like he's he's building these hyperloops. He's obviously yeah, got yeah. Tesla. He's got the the solar panel company. That's that's a sister of of Tesla. He's got SpaceX with the fucking rockets. Like. <laughs> Can chill. Does he have more hours than I do? What's happening? I think he does. Yeah. Apparently. Well, it's like, I think it's like what Wu Tang did when they all went solo. You know, <laughs> like they all specifically took their albums to different labels so the Wu Tang umbrella could take over the music industry. Wow. Was that, have they said that in interviews that that was uh, yeah, a purposeful? They have. They, have. they all went so to different, like, subsects of different labels. And then apparently some of them will say they were, you know, like running guns up and down the East Coast. This is, listen, wow. we're, it, this leads into my question. This is the entrepreneurial spirit of the New Yorker and the New Jerseyite. You know, this is what we do. <laughs> like, like you, you put us into hip hop, we're going to own hip hop. You know, this, this is how we do it. So this is my perfect segue, Ryan, into the fact that, you know, you've been uh, filmed for, for many years. Um, you know, living out in California and, and doing the thing like that. But I think it's probably lost on the people that you are from New Jersey. Proper proudly. New Jerseyite, right? Am I allowed to proud. say, did I out you to the public or are you still no, a proud dude, I, New Jerseyite? Uh, it's super proud New Jerseyite. There's somewhere I can't find it right now. Oh, it's on my wrist. I have a New Jersey tattoo on my there wrist. Me too. Yeah, still, buddy. Not on my wrist, but you got to have one. You got to be branded. Um, where did you actually grow up? Like what part? West Orange. It's oh, Essex yeah. County. It's, sure. you know, 15 miles from Newark is, is kind of what people don't say, but it's, it, it'll, it'll land you appropriately. Home of uh, Ian Ziering and Chris Gethard. Yes. Home of Chris <laughs> Gethard, who went to he, my high school a couple of years ahead of me. Okay. Um, yeah. Also home to, oh God, there's some good ones. Um, Ed, no, not Ed Lover. The Dr. Dre, who, remember when there were two Dr. Dre's? I do. The the original from Yo! MTV Raps. Yes. Either Ed Lover or the Dr. Dre lived in West Orange up on Knollwood. Okay. Um, some guy named Thomas Edison had a lab there, but that's obviously less relevant to uh, <laughs> the culture we're consuming. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the, the in and around West, there's like a blurry line between, I mean, there isn't, there's a border between South Orange and West Orange. Yeah. But generally speaking, that is the neighborhood of uh, Naughty by Nature yeah. and uh, I believe most of the Fugees, although I couldn't tell you which. Yeah, no, I think you're right. There Naughty you by Nature one's a big one, but we do Huge. for the people they should know that there are some serious delineations between West and South Orange and like East Orange. It changes a little. It does. <laughs> East Orange especially. South Orange is a, a, a blurrier border. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, and then there's Orange too. And perplexingly, uh, this, this I, I, I want to attribute the, this start of my OCD uh, behavior to not being able to figure this out when I was like five. There's not <laughs> a North Orange. And it yeah, drove me so right. fucking crazy as like a completionist little kid. Yeah. That they're just like, how, how did we miss? Was there one? And then we forgot about it. Did it get consumed into another one? It's pretty but funny. I, there is a New Brunswick, East Brunswick, South Brunswick, North Brunswick, no West. 
so weird. I've always Why wondered does that the same happen? thing. I, you know, there you 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 track record the world. It was probably some shady shit. You know, like yeah. the one person who went to go do West, like, you know, got killed by someone, like something crazy happened. Oh, no more West. Or do you know the what they did? The one person who went to go do West. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, don't go that way. You're going to run into this guy. And then and then you never got his town. I, do you know yeah. in Patterson, uh, sometime, I believe in like the, the post, um, uh, post uh, mid 60s with the riots in a lot of the cities in New Jersey, Patterson changed West Patterson to Wynwood Park and Ooh. East Patterson to Elmwood Park to try to take away the Patterson name and wow. probably, you know, get middle class people to to move back there and stuff. All these that's shady, a yeah. that, I was gonna say that's that's reminiscent of I felt like I so I after Jersey I, I lived in New York for uh, I don't almost twenty years. Right. 17 years or something. And over the course of the nearly two decades that I lived in New York, I want to say that I didn't like physically, I lived basically in one neighborhood, <laughs> but the name of that neighborhood on like real estate sites yeah. changed four fucking times. Were you in Williamsburg? Like, I mean, I was, yeah, yeah, but it was, yeah, it was at Williamsburg and then Greenpoint towards right. the end, um, which yeah. was actually Greenpoint. Um, Williamsburg got really big. Dude, like, 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 so, so big. big. <laughs> it, it basically, yeah. if you weren't in Manhattan, you were in Williamsburg yeah, for yeah, a yeah. few years there. If according you dipped to your toe in the river, you were technically in Williamsburg. Completely for a insane. I and don't it, know if that, that sprawl continues to this day, but I, it was insane. Yeah, I think it's, you know, William, like Brooklyn has pushed further and further out, you know, where people got priced out of Williamsburg, priced out of Greenpoint, and then people just head farther and farther west until, you know, some hipsters in, like, Bay Ridge, and he's like, wait, what the fuck just <laughs> totally. happened? I'm, like, too far out. <laughs> well, dude, that's essentially what got... I mean, there's a few things that got me to L.A., but a, a decent part of it was just, like, exactly that trajectory, right? Yeah. Getting pushed and pushed and pushed to the point where you're you kind of wake up one day and you're just going, like, okay, <laughs> I'm still playing New York... Prices, New York is a distant skyline. Yeah. I'm in Long Island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not reaping any of the benefits of this insane cost of living premium yeah. that I'm paying. What am I doing? It's it's um, it's, it's pretty funny yeah. to observe. I mean, even like you know, I have a family who has a rent control apartment in the Upper West Side from like Ooh. 1971. You know what I mean? It's absurd, like what they pay there. You know, and and when you see like when you look at New York on a, on a long timeline, you can never get mad. Cause this is what New York does, you know, like, 100%. like where my grandparents grew up where my grandparents worked is now like NYU. You know what I mean? It's now like the types of things like uh, you just got to let, I always get a, a little peckish when I hear New Yorkers getting super, fucked up about their neighborhoods and things changing. New Yorkers who survive, they know how to survive. You got to adapt to all this stuff. It happens, you know? Well, and especially, I I, I share your aversion to that, even though I, I hope it didn't just sound like I was doing that. Like, I, I accepted <laughs> my fate um, readily. Because I also think, like, 
there is such a lack of self-awareness from the people who are normally banging that drum. Because like up until a certain price point when you got uncomfortable, you were the gentrifier. Exactly. Like it's it's not you who's being disenfranchised. It's the guy who had the bodega on the corner for the last 36 years that... Now you know his 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 landlord realized he can he can get a, a wine bar into that space for yeah, triple the rent right. you've been paying. Like that's the guy who gets fucked by the steamrolling of New York. What do it's you think the actual you. rate should be? Like 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 give me actual hard years. How hard long, years of what? Like how long do you have to live there to be able to complain? Oh well, what's the the? You're an official New Yorker. I think it's after ten years, right? That's the was it Ed Koch who said that? Oh, if Koch, I mean, it's written in stone. If Koch said, I'm pretty sure someone should fact check me. Brad, Uh, when did you become one? When did I become the? When did you like go like? Okay, I'm officially a New Yorker now. Oh, that's a good. How long did it take? Or was there like a delineation? Like, was it when you had kids there? Probably not ten years. I probably was such a fucking. Uh, you know, maybe it was when I moved to LA for a year and hated it. And then I came back. <laughs> really <laughs> That's a good marker. Yeah. 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 I like that. Yeah, Dude, really. I remember I, I first moved to New York when I was, uh, when I was 18 actually to go to NYU. Right. Um, although I'd been, you know, I, I, NYU was almost just like the vehicle, right? Like I fell in love with New York when I was 14. Yeah. If you're West Arm, I mean, you're what, 20 minutes out for, for your entire life. Path train to Harrison. And then you're going to Coney Island high and and that, right. So that, that was like, I I moved to New York to be closer to Coney Island high and like (laughs) NYU was just a convenient excuse for my parents. Pretty close to Coney Island high. (laughs) But dude, I remember the, the, you know, we, we lived in dorms and like, Whatever. I, I, am sure I, I pretended like I, I was, I, I was comfortable with it, but like, it's one thing to go into New York for a, a night or a weekend when you're in high school or whatever to live in New York at 18 years old. I was so out of my depths. I was so right. freaked out. Yeah, I was yeah. so unsure of myself. And the first time it was probably like, you know, two, three weeks in the school, you start getting into your routine and your pattern. And I'm walking down university place, which is where my dorm was at NYU to whatever morning lecture class, whatever I was going to. And I just had gotten in this habit of, of stopping at this one particular like coffee bagel cart thing. And, you know, I'm a creature of habit. So I, I got pretty much the same thing every day. And I got to the front of the line and the guy looked at me and he handed me my order without mm, me ordering. That's and it. And I was like, this is it. Yeah. You, you, I have arrived. Yeah. yeah. You're made now. You're made now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. That's what my oh, mom always, because when I was growing up, you know, my parents are like super hardcore New Yorkers. And when I was growing up, I would talk, I was like, the anti-New York, New Jerseyite, because my brother, my sister, parents, whole family are from New York. So basically I was bombarded with like this, you know, uh, anti-Jersey sentiment. It's one Mm -hmm. of the reasons I'm so (laughs) pro-Jersey. And my mom used to always say, she's like, listen, the reason you hate it is because you've never had your neighborhood. She's like, you've never like, I know it feels big, but like when you're there, your two blocks is like, your neighborhood and it turns into like a different thing and you find your community 
and even living in Jersey City, I, th- I think she's right. Like, like, yeah, it, it does. Once you find your people and find your places, like it gets a lot smaller, right? And a lot less daunting. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the thing, Brad, I'm interested in your experience living in LA for a year. I think the people who spent time in New York, who, who try to do the LA thing, and I, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm still struggling with it. It's that, it's the neighborhood thing that it's, it doesn't, it doesn't translate in LA because it's a car culture, because it's spread out, because it's this weird city that's kind of hollow in the middle. It's really just right. a collection of suburbs. Like, was that what you hated about it, Brad? That that it just didn't feel like it had a, a, a neighborhood? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely missed like walking out the door and having life hit you in the face, which never mm-hmm. happens in LA. It has to be planned. Also though, you know, I was there under bad conditions. I basically went from like a guy who couldn't pay for a drink below 14th street to like a nobody in LA to watch my, you know, I, I basically yeah. went out there to watch my band fall apart and uh, <laughs> so I was in a hurry to get back and classic story back, back to where the girls knew who the fuck Ryan was. just got a new, new documentary <laughs> idea. <laughs> the, the goops go to LA to fall apart <laughs> yeah. with Brad. I love it. So when you, when you, uh, did you go straight from, you know, your journalism student at NYU? Did you go straight into, uh, into vice? Yeah. But wow. my sophomore year in college, I didn't wow. even wait. I was, yeah, I had this, it, it, I mean, NYU, it, you know, it, it's, it's fine. I, I'm really glad I went to NYU, but I was joking before about like it was a, a, a means more than an end. But in a lot of respects, it was. New right. York was the vessel that got me to New York. I mean, so you really just NYU wanted was to the get vessel. to the city. Right. Yeah. And then I, I, I had this advisor my sophomore year at NYU. I still remember his name, Patrick McCreary. Um, What's up, Pat? <laughs> What's up, Pat? I'm sure he's an avid listener. Uh, <laughs> Probably. But uh, he he was he was super smart, and he said to me like, "Look, man, you you know you're you're paying a premium to to go to NYU, and that's fine. It's a good school, you know. You're getting some some good instruction. You get some good professors." He's like, "What you're really paying for is the city that surrounds you, mm-hmm. and the reason that is valuable is because you can get internships and you can get life experience that exceeds what NYU can." Wow, that's really, that's really some, suggestive. That's some excellent wisdom at that age, yeah. Dude, and of course, my dumbass was like to, to you know, I, I, I talk about it now and it all fits into my little narrative really cleanly. But like at the time, you're resistant to that idea because sure. you're like, well, hold on. I just moved to New York City and you want me to spend my time working for free? Because at the time, right. internships were unpaid and you still have parents and things like that's not an easy sell right dude it was not a totally easy sell super smart in hindsight but at the time i kind of bucked up against it a little bit so i basically my my answer to it to like justify i was like look if i'm gonna work for free i'm gonna do it at my favorite magazine and and that's it if they they won't have me then i'm not doing this so vice was already like that well-established shit talking rag Kicking Vice around. had moved down from Vice was it's a Canadian magazine right. at the time it was just a magazine but it it was um started in 1994 in Montreal and it had moved down to New York City in 99 mm-hmm. I graduated high school in 2000 and moved into New York so oh, wow. it was about 2 years into the the New York era of Vice um 
And it was just, you know, it was that free magazine that right. you found at skate shops. I just remember it making record stores. That's why Vi- the Vice thing was amazing to me. Cause like at a certain point I was like, Oh wait, that magazine who like talks shit about people's clothes, like, like has TV. Like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> Dude. I, Cause I'm not it, the most hip person. So I was like, wait, 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 what happened? I used to think they were just kind of mean. Now that's yeah, like a news these channel. Guys like, who, what's going on? Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's not even just that they made TV. It's that they made like news, right? Yeah, like, like hard like, hitting news. Yeah, like and and you're exactly right. Like you 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 they they rose to prominence on the back of like cocaine jokes and and mean spirited fashion commentary, <laughs> right, and then yeah. all of a sudden it's like today in 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 the front the front lines of the conflict in Yemen, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So but were like, you were you part of that transition? Like, did you see it happen? Yeah, I mean that that was kind of my my era there. I was holding right. on for dear life, but um, mm. but yeah, I, I so I, I got there. I basically you know showed up knocking on the door asking to intern. They took pity on me and and took me in, and wow. I I hung out basically for the last two years of NYU. I I finished school, just interned throughout and, and, and interning at that time, I, I think both the, the kind of premise of interning, like it wasn't as structured. It was just kind of a place I went. And then vice itself was also like, it was 12 people in a warehouse. Like we shared it with triple five soul. Oh, wow. The, the, no yeah. Shit. Um, so it was just like the, the, my job was basically like to get in arguments with the triple five soul office manager and be like, Hey, your, uh, your salvage denim is actually, we need that space for our box of magazines. So like, (laughs) how do we work this out? Like that was, that was essentially it. Um, but then I, I, I graduated NYU in 04 and, and started vice, uh, full time, uh, pretty much the day I graduated and that I, I, pure luck um just happened to be kind of a, a a moment in uh kind kind of laying the pipes for the online video revolution that was just starting to kind of gurgle there sure. and, you know we we had some early experiments with it and had this little joint venture with MTV that they funded called VBS which huh. vice broadcasting system I don't remember that yeah Good. That's let's keep it that <laughs> okay, way. It was brutal. Okay. Don't Google we made it. An M- <laughs> we we made an MTV show that nobody watched called uh, the Vice Guide to Everything. Oh yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> and uh, and that was that. So that was around like 2007, 2008. And again, it wasn't like I I, I just happened to be there, right? right. Like I, I raised my hand. The company was a magazine company that all of a sudden was about to start doing a bunch of video for the internet and then for this MTV show and otherwise. And nobody knew how to do it. It's not like I was good at it. I think I just raised my hand faster than... Who was um, really like driving that pivot like inside the office? It was the... Uh, there was three guys who who started Vice and, and one of them uh, was a, a guy called Shane Smith mm-hmm. um, who and ended up on the HBO show and... Um, you know, it did a lot of it himself. He was the one, they each had their own, there was a unique marriage, the three of them coming together and two of them, you know, are, are still associated with the company. One is not. Um, but they each kind of had their own purview. One was kind of a content guy. One was a music guy. And one was kind of, you know, this was Shane, the, the kind of the business guy, mm-hmm. right? The guy who, 
who saw just around the bend a little bit, right? right That's right. The, that trite phrase in business sure. that I, I do actually attribute to Shane. He, I think I heard he that was, on a Zoom call. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) A devastating little bird. You're totally right. Uh, But he was. I mean, to say it in more plain spoken terms, he just he 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 just was a a little bit a little bit smarter than the rest of us. Right. He he was he was the guy who who knew that online video was coming. And he was the guy who not only knew that it was coming, but he was the guy who saw this void in news and news for sure. young people in particular. And, and he had the audacity to say, you know, this magazine that, you know, made fun of people's sneakers and, right. and had cocaine jokes can actually, you know, go, go, go to conflict zones and report back in a way that feels a little less detached and soapboxy than I think a lot of things did at the time. Huh. Do you think the inspiration for that, like, was... Uh, you know, more uh, morally founded, like there was a vacuum in the news, there are things we want to tell, or was it more of just like uh, more of a capitalistic idea? Like, I think this this will work and this will sell. That's a really great question, Benny. Um, I don't know that I've I've totally thought about it in those terms. It's a mix of both. And that's, I, I mean, Shane himself is a mix of both those things. <laughs> right. Um, which I think was his his unique, Skill set. Um, I, I, I do think, I know it's kind of a wishy-washy answer, but I do think it was both. I think the unique thing about Vice, and, and it's changed now, but for the time I was there, was the same guys who founded it in 1994 in Montreal, who at that time were 20, 21-year-old kids who were concerned mostly with drugs and, and jokes and and music and girls were the same guys who were running it in 2008, 2009, when we were launching all these news initiatives. So there actually is this like thing that I'm sure all of us, all three of us have experienced, which is like this natural maturation of your own interest. And this, Mm. this, this way you look back on the things that you thought were important at 20 and 21 and you, you kind of cringe and, and you you just become kind of a, a broader you know citizen of the world. Yeah. God, I hate that. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. So I, I I do think it was authentic to where they were in their lives, and I'm sure there was also some business calculation, and there was some idea that like, well, it's weird that young people are getting their news from from John Stewart, right, or, or right. whatever, right? Yeah, there was that sure. thing that was happening in news where kind of there was a, a changing of the guard and there was this 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 real thirst desire need whatever for sources that that spoke like John Stewart did you know with the daily show in yeah. in a more conversational way and kind of broke the conventions of traditional news daily show was really like super groundbreaking huh like it really changed the whole game i don't think it gets it's weird right because like this gets said about bands a lot, right? <laughs> right, um, right? But I think it's it's true here, which is like, if if you are white hot and revolutionary, and then your band implodes and breaks up, um, and 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 the the legend of your band almost exceeds what your band ever could have become, 
Yeah. Right. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> I, I, Sex yeah. Pistols have one album, you know? Yeah. yeah. You're right. Like, <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, Whereas I think The Daily Show, because it continued on in all of these other iterations, and and that's not even a knock on it. I think Trevor Noah does a great job with it, but I just don't know that that particular transformative era of Mm. the John Stewart-led Daily Show gets the credit that maybe it deserves as like a transformational force because it's still with us. I can watch it tonight. Sure. Yeah, that's true. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But you do think it had that kind of impact, like completely switched a gear for how people, was it more how people want to receive news? Like yeah, The Daily Show, right? Yeah, Not Vice. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, I just want to make sure it doesn't sure, sound like I'm yeah. blowing smoke up my own ass. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do think The Daily Show, I, I really do think that. And I think it's it's a couple things, right? I think it's 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 one just about the the actual, you know, the thing that Vice was a part of that is similar to The Daily Show was the proliferation of information across a bunch of different channels, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it is no longer CBS, ABC, NBC. Not that that's what it was. You know, obviously we had cable, we had early internet stuff and blah, blah, blah. But there were still gatekeepers. There were still these centralized nodes of power and information. I think, you know, the, the, the wave of, of, of the internet certainly just kind of knocked down a lot of those barriers. And obviously the daily show was a cable program, not an internet platform, but I think it benefited greatly from John Stewart being really funny and really kind of economical in the way he delivered information mm. in a way that really fit the medium, right? The mm. online medium and, and clips like that would get shared and, and people would, would find something online and then come to the, cable show and that that whole kind of ecosystem just just kind of grew out of that and then i also think it's about about john stewart in particular and the way he delivered it i just right. i i do think that there was even to this day there's this there's this ongoing debate within you know traditional uh, mostly newspaper channels but but extends elsewhere about the idea of objectivity versus subjectivity. We're now talking about this concept of moral clarity. This was mm-hmm. a, a hot button debate during the Trump years. Of, right. You know, do, do you get to say, or should you say Donald Trump lied when he said X, Y, Z, right? Or, right, or right. do you need to take that more passive traditional news reporting voice yeah, that doesn't right. have a point of view like I think what John, is the responsibility of the news in that moment? Yes, definitely what, came what to a crossroads. We, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. It was a, it, one of the many forced crises of the yeah. of the Trump years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, was this question of like, what do we want from from the fourth estate? What do we want from journalism? Does it hold power to account? Does it call balls and strikes, or does it just report the news? Mm-hmm. And I think Stewart, you know, um, ushered in an era where we all got comfortable with the idea that the the news reporters, even even the the Copples and the Rathers and the more kind of staid traditional anchors, 
they are not cyborgs. They are not robots. They do not exist in a vacuum of, of opinion and, and they have them. And so the question just becomes, do they tell you what they are? Do they share their biases right, with you right. or do they try and hide them under this veil of, of kind of, you know, objectivity, which I think increasingly people think is, is kind of a, a foolhardy pursuit, right? Right. That's crazy. Well, I love his new podcast too. I don't know if you've heard it. John Stewart's yeah. back. He's great. He's still great. He is back. He's well, he's got the Apple show, right? Apple yeah. is the one. Do you have Apple TV? I do. I really like that show Severance. Oh, I keep hearing that that's really good. That might be the thing between that and John Stewart, that might be the thing that gets me. I'm just like I've hit the point I'm sure we all have where I'm just like I can't keep up oh no with the yeah. list of shit i'm supposed to watch even on the channels i'm or, or the yeah. you know streamers i'm already subscribed to do i really need to go get fucking <laughs> apple or, or whatever the next one's gonna be it's but absolutely I, I crazy I'm, I'm like i just want i want like cable and my tv guide back dude you know? I, it's so funny how we've come full circle <laughs> right i do I, I you know my mom used to get the tv guide Rocket with a highlighter on Sunday, like for the program she wanted through the week. Yes, the simple life, you know. People um, are longing for that, man. I, Even I some of the the some of the the um the streamers are now, you know, g- testing. At least I don't know that anyone's made a final decisions, but like a hot button conversation in my world is like binge release versus weekly schedule, uh, yeah, right? Sure, um, and 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 people trying to straddle the balance between the two right so you mm. see stuff like i'm a big ozark guy yeah i don't like it too oh, god i love it it's fun um well maybe not fun did, but yeah fun, yeah fun is an interesting yeah. word um <laughs> what they just did uh is you know they they took a full season and they released it in two batches right. untold actually benny which we've talked about mm-hmm. has done something similar right we made 10 films and netflix kind of said okay, here's the way we're going to do this. We're going to take five and five. We're going to separate them out into two mini seasons. Mm. And then we're going to do weeklies within there. And it's this conversation about, you know, do we, do we maximize the, oh God, here's a Zoom phrase, the press cycle <laughs> right. uh, yeah, of each sure. episode. So that like when you put Malice at the Palace out, you get a week Right. just talking about Ron right, Artest right, right, and Jermaine right. O'Neal and all those dudes. And then a week later we go, oh, okay. And here's Caitlyn Jenner. And then a week later it's, right. you know, Marty Fish or whatever, or do you put them all out at once? So if someone falls in love with Malice the Palace, they have four more hours of television to watch. I, I don't know what the answer if is. If the upside to week to week is the press cycle, what's the upside to the binge release? I think the upside to the binge release is people have, I mean, first off, I should be clear that like smarter, better paid people make these decisions. <laughs> I, I, I land on the receiving end I get of that it, yeah. and, and do as I'm told. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think the thinking is that like it is the hardest thing to do in, in my industry and arguably most industries right now is, is capture someone's attention for the first time. Right. Mm -hmm. There are so many options available to you. And we're not even just talking about the streaming services anymore. We're talking about the 300 apps you have on your fucking phone. We're talking about the time with your kid. You're talking about your job. You're talking about your personal relationship. All this shit that you could, if you have a free hour on a Tuesday night, you can do 
more things than than ever in the the history of civilization. Yeah. So if you more get than like someone, a human mind has ever even conceived until an like unhealthy the last amount, 10 a years. really yeah. unhealthy yeah. amount, it's right. breaking all of our fucking yeah. brains. Right. Yeah. But in that ecosystem, which is the one we have at the moment, once you get someone, once you get someone in the door, yeah, you probably want to keep them there. For as long as you can, uh, because there's absolutely no guarantee that they'll come back next right, week because right. something else has captured their attention. And the diminishing attention span that goes along with that. That's exactly wow. it. So I think that's the debate that, that happens between the sure, two. And I don't sure. know that there's a right answer. Well, we just dealt with that with Gaslight Anthem. It's funny. Like, you know, uh, we did this this rollout, you know, like a four-day, like, all right, one week we're going to scrub the socials and then... The next week, we're just going to put this box up. And then the yep. next week, there's going to be like four days of like these little teaser videos and stuff. And, you know, it got to the point where, you know, I've, I've stepped back from certain elements of this business for long enough. And it's changed so much in the time I've stepped back. I'm kind of acquiescing to people who know more than me. You know, I used to really want to control this part of it. Yeah, and and the artist in me is like, no, 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 just fucking tell people, like, this is what we're doing, and just <laughs> tell people. But then I watch like this fucking dead Instagram account that we haven't used in years. All of a sudden, has like ten thousand new people on it, who are like discovering oh. my band and like doing this stuff just because they're doing this cheesy rollout shit, and it's getting so it worked. Basically, it worked. But... Yeah, for like yeah. what they wanted to do, it, and it. And it probably brought in more people than it pissed off in the long run. Like, I don't know sure. if that's true, but it's like they're you know, I, I have friends who are telling me they they can't get artists signed because their data isn't good enough. Yeah, you know, literally, like that's the first thing a label is asking for now is data analytics. Like, what is your online presence in numbers? You know, and yeah, what that, are bands supposed see, to do in that context? You know. That's where it does feel like it's kind of the pendulum is swung too far, too far. right? Yeah, we need a and, course and, correction here. <laughs> yeah, and look, it's the same thing. You know, this this debate has roiled sports for for the last decade or so is the rise of advanced analytics, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And you have you have a bunch of really smart kind of you know math nerds, and then you have the guys like. Charles Barkley on the post game show going, well, I don't know about this. He's analytics. got big bullshit, thighs, but the, yeah, like, yeah <laughs> he, he's, he's got a, you know, right. yeah, exactly. He's got big thighs or whatever, right? Yeah. It's all about the eye test. Right. And like the answer is always somewhere in the, middle. In the middle. It's a little, yeah. little bit of Chuck's perspective That's and right. a, a, a little bit of the analytics. And Bill I think James is too far. Charles Barkley's too far. A hundred percent. Right. And, and if you can center it somewhere on that spectrum between the two, and it's probably the same for bands, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. It's it's hard to break through. So if you've got a, a a a good social game and a bit of a built-in following, that counts. But you also need to be able to write the fucking songs, right? Well, I think that's where the difference in like, because because if there's a musician who is just trying to be a pop star, just trying to be an entertainer, then do whatever the fuck you have to do Absolutely. to get as many eyes on you as possible. That's your mission. That is your goal. And, you know, but there's another side to the, to the arts, which, you know, for someone like us, like, sure, like a TikTok account will probably add more analytical 
views or, you know, contribute to our data in a good way. But do people want to see 40 year old guys and bands <laughs> making TikToks at home when they got like little kids and like are cooking breakfast? Total bullshit. You know, like, like, so I'm not machine gun Kelly. I'm not like wearing a cape like Travis Barker. You don't want to see me at home. And isn't Travis Barker older than all of us, by the way? Dude, let's not even get into that. Because okay. the all fact right, that we'll a dude with a Dag Nasty tattoo is doing the things he's doing <laughs> is is driving me up a fucking wall, Ryan. I don't like it. Yeah, I, I like can't it. say I'm a fan. I don't like it. Um, wait, but so where did you land on that? Like, so there's someone, I'm, I, I assume there's someone outside of the band who has suggested kind of sure. the cadence of yes. this rollout to you yeah. and all of this. It's a management really office, into, like, yeah. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure, as well it should be. Um, where, do, where, do you, where do you land on how you draw the line? Like, does Gaslight have a TikTok now? It does not. And, and I think that's where, like, you can't judge everyone on the same line. You know, it's like we maybe uh, like aged into it without having to do TikTok. You know what I mean? Like, like we created enough prior to TikTok that we're not forced to do it. But I do think there's an element of as a, you know, like you talked about before, the differences of when you're 20 and when you're 30 and when you're 40 And, you know, we're getting things back together and I want to enjoy my life. Um, And one of the things I realize I need to do to enjoy my life is to, to seize some of the control. It's like, you know, I used to really, really put such a fine tooth comb on like every venue we're going to, uh, Mm. every piece of social media that came out, every little thing, you know, hyper micromanage these things. And and I'm going into it this time, and I'm like, you know what? I can control music. I can control the relationship with my band. I can control art. I can control how we present this and how we present ourselves. And outside of that, you know what? I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. And I need to be honest about that. And there are all these people, you know what? They went to school. They, they roll out these bands. They do it every day. This is their life. I should probably believe them. You know, like, but, like, and just be like, okay, there's a reason you fucking hire these people. Like, do the thing yeah, you're supposed tr- to do. Trust and delegation. But do you think, though, like, I, I actually doubt that that's entirely true. I bet you do know <laughs> that. And if you didn't have, if Gaslight wasn't as successful as, as it has been and you didn't have this apparatus around you where you could kind of delegate these things to, to specialists, as it were... I bet you could do that, but isn't your decision-making rationale a little bit more that like, well, I guess I could spend three hours vetting the venue that we're playing in Washington state or whatever, but like, I'm going to spend time with my fucking kids. Like, isn't it a priorities thing for you now? Yeah. More than like a specialization thing? Yeah, I think so. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, maybe. It's just like where you want to put your time. But then, yeah, but there is also wisdom there's wisdom in letting it go, you know? Yes. Oh, God. Like, yeah, dude. You, you know, like you can't. And, and looking back into the, the path of Gaslight, if there's anything, I, I don't regret a thing, but if there's anything I wish my old ass could tell my young ass was to keep your eyes down. Enjoy the fucking show. Yeah. Enjoy the night. Enjoy the people around you. 
And the thing you're stressed about in fucking Kansas City tomorrow is going to work out. Like, you'll sort it out when you get there, but keep your eyes down and enjoy the actual experience. And, you know, once you hit 40, it's a fucking miracle. You you don't die of cancer every day. So, so yeah, I want to enjoy it. (laughs) From your lips to God's ears, dude, I I, I mean, that is that, that single pearl of wisdom of like, Hey man, how about you just kind of like live in the moment, right? That we have 500 different ways to to communicate that idea in our society because it is probably the most overarching relevant truth that one person could say to another, which is like, whatever you're worrying about that you did that felt stupid yesterday, whatever problem you think is on the horizon that's going to come tomorrow, it'll either come or it won't or, and it happened <laughs> right. or it didn't. But all you can control is what happens today and how much you enjoy that and and whatever, but like, holy shit, man. I mean, I struggle with that every single day. I mean, I was just going to ask that because like you, I mean, I've seen some of the stuff. I'm even, you know, I'm watching uh, old episodes of Now What um, last night. Oh, wow. And I mean, they're great. They're seriously, they're great. And, but you know, I'm I'm in this place and I see you in in Liberia and in these places where you're just staring in the face of, of, as an an American like you and I growing up in central and North Jersey, it's so inconceivable. Like, you know, how much is like the path you took, you know, just like really permanently altered the way you see things like, like has seeing all this made it simpler or more complicated? Oh God. Great framing of that question. I, I, I actually think the answer is, is simpler, right? In the sense that it's a clarifying lens. I do think, and this is, this is a position of the deepest, deepest privilege. I, I, I really do mean that, mm-hmm. but I do think that travel is one of the best things. I mean, you know it, yeah. you, you know it from, from being in a band, like, Travel is one of the best things you can do in kind of shaping your worldview. And the reason I say it has simplified things is it is the source of perspective. And I do feel like it is, by and large, a lot of our our differences, our conflicts, our, our failures as people, and I still have a shit ton of them, come from a lack of perspective mm-hmm. and just losing track of the bigger picture, losing track of the moment, losing track of what matters, micromanaging a venue selection outside of Seattle, whatever it may be. <laughs> right, we all have right, these right. things, right? Yeah. And if you have accumulated enough life experience to know that like, and this sounds so trite, dude, but I, I'm going to say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, actually, it doesn't matter. Like, I I, I was on a Zoom call this morning about a, the song that rolls over the title credits <laughs> of a, a two-part documentary I directed last year that's going to air this summer. Right. And it's like, we spent a long time talking about it. And it does matter to me. I worked really fucking hard on this. And this is like the final mood yeah. that you'll be left with. Right. At the same time, if someone has arrived on the credit sequence of this two-hour documentary, <laughs> like, yeah. I've kind of won the war. You had him already. I'm yeah, like, you got him. Yeah, yeah I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it's hard to, like, reconcile that yeah. sometimes yeah. with, like, the knowledge that, like, 
Yeah, actually, in 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 Liberia, you know, people don't have electricity. People don't have clean energy to prepare their dinner tonight. And again, I know this sounds so trite, and I'm sitting here belaboring my my choice and getting all worked up about like whether we have the budget to license this cover of "You Are My Sunshine" <laughs> that I really want. Like, it's just it's patently absurd. It sounds and pricey. Sometimes you sounds just pricey. need to say, "Yeah, it is fucking pricey." It's not in public domain yet. <laughs> I can uh, but anyway, so I, yeah. I I think that all of that travel. I mean, how do you feel? You you've traveled the world as much as I have, if not more. So, like, how, how does that how does that impact your day to day now when you're New Jersey dad Benny? Like, I, I imagine it still does, right? Yeah, I think it's huge. Um, just as far as what you said, like, I, I think so much of the difficulty people have is plain and simple empathy. Just yeah. the simple ability to be able to see yourself in someone else's shoes. And that's like my my utopian dream of what social media could actually maybe do and some sort of global society can do if like you're seeing all these plights all the time. Maybe it'll help. But um, so, yeah, and, and I do, I feel resentment when I see like a uh, a conservative who has never left like their little corner of their little town and their little state trying to fucking tell me what the world should look like. Like get the fuck off your ass and see the world. And then you have a right to, to tell me that, but you can't tell me that from fucking Western Indiana in your gaming chair or something, you know, um, (laughs) That shit pisses me off. Uh, I think I'm all good on Marjorie Taylor Greene perspectives on the conflict in Ukraine. Yeah. I'm all set, Marjorie, Fine. actually. Fine. We're good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I might as well call like Coolio. Like, it's just like... Dude, <laughs> like, the- I'd rather. I, I'd I would rather. be happy yeah. to hear what Coolio had to say. So on that, on that subject, though, the thing interests me... You know, I know you've talked about going to North Korea a bunch of times. It's a really interesting and crazy story, of course. Um but the one the one part about the story that really got me and i've always i've i'm fascinated with china because of the same construct is you told me like the effect that people had or the effect on the room when they knew kim jong un was going to walk in and then like like what came over people when this person came into the room and like and and overcome with some like huge emotion that they weren't expecting and saw and 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 it always makes me think like you know we think we know all this stuff but on the smaller level are they just as happy like you've seen Dude. it like you've been there firsthand like on a day-to-day basis are they just as happy i mean so here's the fucking crazy god this is another two hours of conversation. Oh, we're right definitely going to do like, a round two of this. I got, <laughs> well, cause he, cause here's the thing, dude, part of what you're, you're getting at is actually this, like, un, I, it, there's a couple of things, but part of it is, is this, this unbelievably timely debate that I think we're having as a civilization, especially if you, if, if you kind of, you know, throw, throw your lot in with like, the, the the Ben Rhodes types and, and and you understand a lot of the conflict in the world as um 
autocracy versus democracy, mm-hmm. right? And this mm-hmm. idea of like the single authoritarian leader and, and this broader rise of populism and the, the populist demagogue that, that we've, we've certainly seen around the world. Although some would make the case that kind of the tide is, 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 is it ebbing or flowing? What's receding? Ebbing or flowing? Uh, ebbing? Flowing. Ebbing. Brad, were you raised on the sea? <laughs> I was not raised on the sea. <laughs> I wish the, I the did. The tide is receding, right? The, the wave of populism sure. is receding, yeah, yeah. some would say. Whatever. It, it's all a tangential thing. Um, <laughs> uh, but but that that that's a, a little part of, of the question, right? Is like, is, is the messy mechanism of democracy better suited for, for human happiness? Or do, is, is there something about us and the way that we're wired that actually does crave a, a, a strong man leader, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I certainly fucking hope not. Right. But like there, there are some data points around the world that make you wonder if like there, there are ways that there's, there's something within us that is being manipulated to, to suggest as much. And, and it's, it's really scary because it's generally manipulated by people with, with the worst of ambitions. Right. Um, but the Kim Jong-un thing is really interesting, right? Because one of the reasons that I, I there's a zillion reasons I can't, fully answer your, your your very smart question. One of them is I, to this day, 10 years later, whenever it was that I was there, nine years, eight years ago, I don't know if those people were authentically feeling the thing that they were showing me. Mm. What they what, what they were showing me, what, what, what Benny is 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 alluding to, um, is is the end of an episode of, of the Vice on HBO show where Kim Jong-un walks into a basketball stadium where Dennis Rodman and I are playing in a basketball <laughs> the game. Because that's a thing that yeah. happened with the Globetrotters, <laughs> yeah. right? Of course. Uh, I scored two points. Um, <laughs> always like to get that mention in there. I did hit a layup. Um, open layup? Contested? It was a pretty open okay. layup, dude. Okay. It was a Globetrotters <laughs> game, you know. Um, but, uh, but, but Kim Jong-un walks into the stadium, this full-pack stadium of, of North Koreans in Pyongyang, and and the the stadium, I, I don't even have words for it. Erupts, I guess, is 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 the word you would use. But it's it's you know I, I'm going to a Clippers game tomorrow night, and like the stadium will erupt if if Paul George hits a three. Like that's not the level of yeah. this, right? It's like like a th- this is kind of eruption, a breathless, crying, fanatical demonstration of of uh, what would seem to be affection and joy, but which could be abject terror. (laughs) It could literally be either one of those polar extremes and I have no way of knowing, right? The, The striking thing about North Korea was like, you know, you're, you're, your reference point in modern history, I guess, for, for that kind of, of society, that kind of hermit kingdom is, you know, the, the Soviet union, as I understand it, I've never visited the Soviet Union uh, before its collapse. As I understand it, um, you could find the pockets of, of dissidents. You could find the dissent. Um, there were fractures. And maybe that's not always the case. Maybe that comes in the later stage before a crack up and maybe it'll happen in North Korea. I could not find the dissent. Right. I could not find the parts of North Korea that were not a part of the pantomime show right. that I was like I Soviet was Union as metal bands. Like, yeah, yeah, there's always something, right? <laughs> there's always this like little breakage where you see in a crack and right. you're like, ah, okay, here we go. Yeah, right. And there's some way to relate. But then again, I will say like, that is, that was one of the, the 
this is going to sound really cheesy, but like one of the really cool things about being there with the Globetrotters, you know, the whole idea was this like kind of basketball diplomacy, sports diplomacy, the idea that like sports can be a global language, you know, um, and I ended up making this whole show kind of based on this idea. After I, I left Vice, I made a show for Netflix called Home Game, right. where basically we just went around the world and, and kind of did that whole thing, right? In the same way that Bourdain used, used food to bridge cultures, we used sports and we looked at local games in every culture and the way they were kind of different and the same and all of this. And it was really interesting because there is that idea that like even in North Korea, which is the most remote and different and foreign place that I will ever be in my life. Right. Any of us will ever be. Um, by far the biggest culture shock, like of all the places. By far. Like, not even close. Like we woke up every day and literal propaganda is playing from, from the speakers on the streets, wow. right? Like you are being delivered the state-run newspaper under the door in your hotel room. And that state-run newspaper is telling you that North Korea is under siege and at war with the West and the American soldiers are coming and they're coming to eat your babies. Wow. Like that is the, that is the reporting. And you're reading this as the American in, yeah. in Pyongyang and it, it, it's so wild. But even with that, even within those constructs, sports can kind of do it. And again, I know it's cheesy, but like, it's not just sports. It's, it's music, certainly. Yeah. Um, it's sports, it's food, right? It, it's all these things, these like, these cultural, cultural red threads that we have that are like really just, it's, it's so, it's so encouraging that at the end of the day, despite all of the difference and all the division and all these news reports about, you know, the, the Americans eating your babies, like, it's really cool to watch someone dunk a basketball. Yeah. That's fucking cool. And a, That's and a, really fun. And a guy who claimed to break his dick three times is, <laughs> yeah. is the one who fucking broke down the barrier. Like, like it's, it's so, it's so bizarre. I know. It really is. Like that connection and those people, it's just like, sometimes when I look up from like the TV or computer and I'm like, wait, what kind of fuck, what is the matrix doing right now? Cause it's, this is weird, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. It really does. It 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 put it push it pushes your belief that we're actually uh, operating in something other than a simulation that someone's just having a fucking laugh at our expense. It's so bizarre. And then, did I also hear that they played the uh, some musicians played the Dallas theme song? All right, here's my best fucking guess. That, why. That's yes. So, so the short answer. So is were yes, they like yes. a, an orchestra or like? It was a, so we had a, after that game, um, so, so basically we had been there for the better part of a week and we had kind of, you know, we were angling to see Kim Jong-un and we went at the time, I should say, like we, we went certainly after the, certainly after, shortly after the transition in power. So Kim Jong-un, I mean, he's still relatively Un, unknown quantity. Right. Um, but at the time was, it was a dramatically unknown. Right. right he was right. 30, he was 31. He went to the Swiss boarding school. That's the only kind of thing. And, and from that Swiss boarding school experience, um, which is rare in, yeah, in, in that right. country, certainly there was this like little, little crack where we knew, 
um, that he had this affinity for basketball. And in particular, he had this affinity for Michael Jordan in the 90s Bulls. And right. that was kind of the in. So he was in his boarding school when the Bulls were on their run. Yeah, huh. he, he grew up with it. That was the piece of culture he latched on to. He became a, to hear people tell it, it's not like I've seen it, but he became an avid shoe collector, right? Uh, and that's shoe like head, his one. Huh? Sneakerhead. Yeah, sneakerhead. He, he, he's a sneakerhead. I bet he was like uh, a Horace Grant fan too or something, like a deep cut, <laughs> like a BJ Armstrong guy. Luke Longley yeah, yeah. guy, yeah. yeah. Um, but so anyway, that was how Rodman became kind of our Trojan horse to to get us in there. But so... All, all of that is 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 just background and, and context, and we're 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 there, and we we had gone to see Kim Jong Un because he is this new leader of the Hermit Kingdom, and he's this unknown quantity. He's just taken over power as his father has just passed. Um, so we were angling to see him the whole time. And, and, right? and correct and, me if I'm wrong, but there was some optimism at this point, right? Like like the fact that he went to that boarding school and the fact that he was young, like. There was some optimism that he was going to be like a different kind of leader, right? There was. Yeah. It's hard. It's such a good point. There was a little bit. There was, was like, like a, a sliver. A, a, like there's a chance. Yeah, just a sliver, yeah. right? It, it just just the changing of the guard moment. Right. Someone who right. had a, a cultural touchstone and had a connection to to the the wider world that that you could you could certainly argue his father and his grandfather did not. Um, at that is not the case, obviously, <laughs> as we have we have yeah. seen since. But so the whole trip was kind of angled around, hoping to see him, hoping to see him. And this this game that was kind of at the tail end of our trip is when he eventually walked in and he had that that great, great isn't the word I was looking for there, but that kind of awe-inspiring reception right. of the standing ovation, eight minutes, people crying, all this stuff. After that, he invited us all back to this big, um, you know, palace, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, to, to have this big banquet and meal. And even that, you, you, you're, you're disassociating because you, you know that the vast majority of the country, not the one that you are seeing, but, you know, the, the, the outside of Pyongyang, outside of the, the, the places you are being shown, um, is, is starving, right? right. Experience, experiencing poverty, widespread yeah. famine and, and, and they're trotting out this seven-course meal for you and sushi and all this stuff. But the the musical performance. This is a long answer to a very simple question. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's so uh, the musical please. performance was a, a, a all female orchestra, um, all dressed in white. Uh, that was kind of this like string band and pop singing amalgam wow. or, or whatever. Huh. And they, for some reason, were dead set on just the Dallas theme song. Over and over and over oh, like again, I'm like loop. I must have heard, dude, must have heard it twenty fucking no. times. But playing it live, not like recording it, playing it. The only thing I've been able to, I couldn't for the life of me figure out, like what, what do they think Dallas is like still on TV? Right, and right. like it's Dennis Rodman is from it's, Dallas, it's, like the actual <laughs> city, Dallas, uh -huh, Texas. Uh -huh. So I think something got lost in the translation there <laughs> of like, oh, this is the the anthem for people from Texas. Right, or, right. That's my best the guess. I have no idea of this. Thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> wow, that, you're probably right. I mean, why else would they play it 25 times? I wonder if they were like super disappointed he didn't like recognize it. Like they thought... Like he's got, oh, we're playing the Dallas song for him. He's going to love it. And and I can't imagine Rodman was 
big Dallas uh, fishing. No, I don't think it resonated for him whatsoever. You didn't worry about who killed JR. (laughs) So that's so, that is such a bizarre part of it. I have so much more and that was so fast. Brad, are you up for two of these? Yeah. I think we got to do another one. I would be happy to any time. We didn't do Malice in the Palace. We didn't do Rick and Keel. I got oh, all these dude, questions yeah, about we didn't... like traveling and the craziest drugs and food you took. Like we got a lot to go. So I think we should do another one. It would be my pleasure okay. uh, to do another one at any time. And I'm sure you have a long list of guests who want to be on the show. So I appreciate it very much. And uh, I am happy to do it awesome. whenever, sooner or later or whatever. If you want to take a little break from my bullshit, we'll reconvene in <laughs> a few months or whatever. Definitely but not bullshit. Thank you so much. No, it's dude. so much fun to talk, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we actually got to like talk. Listen, I don't think that guy broke his dick three times. <laughs> I just don't. It doesn't make sense. It is a real injury, supposedly. I um, I didn't have it happen, but I know somebody that it happened to, and I looked it up after they told me. Wait, but it, it's got to be considered like a sprain, though, right? Because there's, uh, there's no bones. I don't remember. You'll have to look it up, dude. It's It's a thing. It's a thing. That happens. I, I don't want to talk too much shit about it. I don't really break, want to talk about it. i probably break my dick if, <laughs> if I talk about this too much. Yeah. Uh, but Rodman, I mean, what a bizarre. It's like. It is really bizarre. It's so bizarre. And th- there were these little questions about like, because like the Kim Jong-un, I'm like, I heard an interview with Ryan where they were like, they're like, what were his hands like? And they were just like baby soft, you oh. know? <laughs> Cause, cause like he's never done, like, oh, I imagine his anything. life is like a uh, Prince Akeem and coming yeah. to America. Yeah. You know, he like wakes up, he gets the Royal penis cleaned. Yeah. He steps on rose petals and yeah, like the whole deal. It's just such a bizarre. And, you know, I see these like, like fairly recently I was at a, I was at a Brooklyn Nets uh, outdoor thing at Brooklyn Bridge Park and part of the people who were there were like Chinese basketball players. Like, I guess they were on like a U.S. tour, like doing right. clinics or like something. And they were at this thing. And there's this group of like very tall, uh, you know, fit, young Chinese guys who right. are, you know, basketball players. And, you know, like, I am fascinated with this concept. I'm watching these guys and I'm like, you're just raised in a such a vastly different scenario than me. And we're raised in this idea that like ours is good and theirs is bad. And we've been on this like 200 year journey of trying to prove to everyone ours is better. And like, I see these kids and I'm like, I don't know, like they look healthy. They look happy. They're fine. They all got phones or talking to each other. It's not like, like they came out of some thing and they're all like, you know, fucking jumping in the river for food or something like, you know, and I just see things like that. And, and you gotta like, you know, I'm like the perception of each and each place is just so far off. And when you strip it all back, it's just these fucking people mm-hmm. and what actually makes people happy. Like what is the thing that, that leads us to a 
better society. I mean, in China, they, they have posters all over the place saying how shitty our democracy is because nothing ever gets done. You know, they're just yeah. like, yeah, they just fight with each other all the time. And then that's why they suck because they never do anything. <laughs> and I hear that. I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. Kind of true. <laughs> Things take a long time here, you know, <laughs> like, and, and, and bizarrely some like autocratic nation is probably going to lead the charge in like in, in the environment in something like that, because we could never make a damn decision. Could be, yeah. You Absolutely. know, and we can never like move. And if one of these autocratic leaders is just like, well, I'm going to focus this entire thing on this. No one has a fucking choice. And we saw it kind of, you know, play out in a bizarre way during COVID where like in some ways these these places that are just used to being told what to do were able to respond better. Yeah. It was a it's a truly bizarre thing that I'm sort of just wrapping my head around. This is not coming from like some point of expertise. I've never been to China, I've never been to a communist country, I've never seen the insides of this, but I'm kind of fascinated by it. I think this is this is this is my Wikipedia wormhole territory for like the next couple months. It's like somewhere around here. <laughs> it's a deep one. It's a deep it one. It is. There's but, a lot yes. to it. Democracy but, you know, is a slow and convoluted process. It's true. It's true. Hitler made the trains run on time, they say, you know, so. I think it was Mussolini who did that. Oh, it was Mussolini. All right. I believe so. Okay. One of those shit heels. <laughs> I was saying that to my friend Neil today. I was I'm I'm listening to the new Dan Carlin podcast, The Hardcore History, mm-hmm. which is uh super fun, six hours on the Atlantic it's, slave trade. Yeah, it's great. It's just so goddamn long. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I realized listening to the last one on the Atlantic slave trade is why do the Portuguese and the Dutch get such a free pass? <laughs> Seriously, we talk about like, like, you know, worldwide imperialism and colonialism and all the awful things just, people have done. It was hundreds of years of the Portuguese and Dutch. Yeah. They don't take any shit for it now. No, no one's going to Holland being like, what do you fuckers did to like the Caribbean islands? They're like, too nah. small. They're too small. Nobody cares. They're not wielding any power now. Like, but they, they that, did. They were these tiny little countries that wielded their white power like all over right. the fucking place. And now place. they're small countries that don't have, you know, nuclear weapons and um, aren't running around telling other people what to do. So that's why we don't chip them down anymore? That's why we get... This shit is focused on on the big ones and us. And, like, you know, you know, you don't ever walk through Little Italy and go, hey, you fuckers were just Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> Happens to me. Yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe Bensonhurst. I'll try it there. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Bensonhurst. All right. Let's get. I'm going to get in trouble if we keep going down this this rabbit hole. I'm gonna well, say anyways, Ryan Duffy. If you didn't know who he was before, there's a wormhole for you. There's plenty. He's got the yeah. new show on Netflix that you can check out. What's the name of that show, Benny? Untold. And just go down a wormhole with his vice stuff because it's all really good. It's really well done. It's really interesting. Yeah. You can follow him on Instagram at Ryan Duffy. Um, and and I, I quite like that Now What series too. Just this idea of like, okay, these are the problems. What are we going to do about it? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like they love, maybe that's the punk rocker in there. Like, let's find some solutions. Yeah. But uh yeah, no, if you find anything from Untold, Home Game, 
the truth be told, the Rick Ankiel one, uh, you know, the Vice stuff, now what? Like all of it. It's so fascinating. You could spend a good, your next 10 hours following Ryan around the world and then listening to cool shit. And you learn something. Please do it. And honestly, just a fascinating guy to talk to. I, I could have hung up that interview and just kept talking to him for pleasure, you know? Uh, yeah, so I do think we're going to have a round two coming up because there was just so much stuff I still want to get into. It's got more but to thanks say. to Ryan for coming on. Thanks to all you for listening. As Ryan said, we're this deep into the podcast. If you've made it here, we probably got you. <laughs> So, so then you can join it our Patreon. Patreon.com slash going off track. As you may have noticed, our show now has some advertisements on it. I'm sorry mm. for that. We've gone a long Sweet. fucking time without them, though. So it's true. 400 episodes. So, without and them. you can still go back and listen to our legacy episodes. They don't have ads on them. But uh, if you want ad free experience and a lot of other stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash going off track and join the team. Mm. Um, mm. There's bonus material. You get ad-free RSS feed, and you can join us for to tell us what you hate about the show on Discord yeah. every Thursday night. Sure. That's the best part. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And are you requesting the reviews to be like... Honest. What, like G-rated? Purely you honest. You prefer G-rated, don't come, you? Let them come from your heart. Let them come from your heart, Brad? <laughs> Stop it. You're, you're bad. Filthy, you're a filthy man, Benny. You know what's funny? You know what I love about you and I, Brad? <laughs> We're about to cut out of this podcast, and we didn't even mention it's our 400th one. Oh! Oh, my God. It's like, We're the worst. We're the fucking worst. No wonder. It's like my no wedding fucking, anniversary. I always No forget. small wonder, <laughs> me and you. Look at this. Benny, congratulations for making it this far. Thank you. You too. You actually did all 400. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> 